The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. If you enjoy this program, there's another show you might enjoy. It's called On Being, The Big Questions of Meaning, hosted by Krista Tippett. And you can find the downloadable versions if your local uh, public radio station doesn't carry it. Her program this past Sunday was devoted to what you might call the spiritual aspects of running, the joy of energy, the meditational aspects of the body in motion, and the exhilaration of winning races. It reminded me of a time in high school when I would get up at dawn and run for an hour around a local golf course, the light reflecting off each dew-covered angle of greens and trees, and the flocks of crows that would take off in unison as I disturbed their breakfast in the morning fog. I was never good enough to win uh, long-distance races, but the meditation of it grew my soul. This morning, going through my dresser, I found an old T-shirt with a color picture of the tarot card called The Sun. It pictures a young child on a white horse with sunflowers and the sun shining down on the scene with the energy of the source. And uh, like the radio show on running... It got me to reflecting on the old questions. What is the real nature of physical reality? And if heaven is so glorious, why do we hang around here on earth? The day before, my wife and I watched the movie Awake, a biography of the yoga master Yogananda, who came from India to America in the 1920s to bring the practice of yoga to the West. Now, Yogananda believed that cosmic consciousness enters through and dwells in our spine. And the practice of yoga helps activate that connection. A hundred years before that, Henry David Thoreau wrote about meditating by Walden Pond and in the woods of Maine as a way of understanding uh, and, and becoming enlightened, while a century and a half later, Ram Das proclaimed the chemistry of LSD, as a doorway to enlightenment. And then there was Dylan Thomas, who drank way too much, but wrote such heart-rending poetry. Picasso and Einstein, each in their own ways, brought time and dimensionality out of the closet. And Gregorian Chant brought the music of heaven down to the world of the Middle Ages. What I'm driving at here is that every art and insight derives from the source, and every opportunity and possible convolution is here available to those who want to play. The light provides us with an incredible, diversity, diversely equipped artist studio, so we can dabble in creating on our own within the creation of the light. We start spiritually as children on a white horse with sunflowers in the sun. Where do we go from there? Now here I want to point out that none of us arrive on earth with equal opportunities. I was born the same day as Jimi Hendrix, but my guitar playing at its best had no relationship to his genius. Now we all have unique talents, and luck and circumstance determine how much we get to pursue what we might have set out uh, from heaven to accomplish. 
As a hospital chaplain, I encounter many folks every day who have had to make do with the terrible situations they were handed by life. Mothers who give most of their whole lives to children injured or diseased at birth. Folks with physical or mental or family situations that place enormous limits on where they can go and what they can accomplish. Yet the goodness of that light shining down can give courage to the most handicapped and make saints of many. Those of us who are captivated by stories of the near-death experience and other visions and miracles apparently from the other side still can't help but wonder about the nature of this reality, the so-called reality of life on earth. Even if we are clear that our primary job here is to love and care for one another, the curiosity in us ponders from time to time the nature and reality of this world. The thing is, when we when we peer through the veil to the other side or hear of others who have done so, it does not resolve the nature of physical reality so much as it does raise even more questions. Is this God's fallen garden of Eden, a creation we were given to care for and replicate as heaven on earth? Or is this a matrix reality, a conspiratorial projection, or even a computer game we are all pieces of? Or are we a projection from the other side, avatars of our higher selves? Are we actually already in heaven, playing a video game with our physical bodies as characters in this earthly play? After all, St. Paul wrote that we are already seated in the heavenlies. Well, if that's where our souls already reside, then what are these bodies of ours doing here? And more to the point, What are we supposed to be doing? If this is only a game, then why do we strive so against one another? Why do we behave in such greedy, petty, suffering-causing ways? Why are we so stupid? And if this really is a game, does it matter at all what we accomplish in our lives? For example, what does a matrix love consist of anyway? To be honest, I think the experience of seeing heaven uh, raises fewer questions about the hereafter and more about where we are right now. We are living in an age that more and more belittles the notion of life after death, a world where people look forward to the day they will be able to download their histories into a computer memory that will be transferred at death to a replacement body, a clone, a robot, or whatever the technology may provide. Many of us now yearn for immortality through technology, through science, while religious faith takes a back seat to what is called, uh, what is assumed to be scientific rationality. The problem with this so-called rationality is that it is proving to be the most destructive path forward for the world at large. I mean, what will it gain anyone if in the course of reaching some form of mechanical immortality, we destroy the world we hope to be immortal in. In the last few decades, we've polluted the oceans, released radioactive and other pollutions, uh, raised the global temperatures, poisoned water tables, destroyed rainforests and plants and animals by the millions. We've compromised the effectiveness of antibiotics that keep us well, 
We've encouraged wars on, of religion, of race, of ethnicity, and in viral ways from fashion to Facebook, made this a world of us against them and ourselves above all. We have failed to see the connectedness, uh, the relationship of everything and everyone to each other. We've played this competitive video game with a mind to beating everyone else, to be the only winner, and in playing the game in that way, we are losing the game, and we may soon lose the world. So the big question is not so much what is waiting for us after death, but what is waiting for us to do in the world right now? What is this place we call home? Is this the critical, gorgeous creation described in Genesis, the garden we were given to love and tend? Are we the fallen angels uh, described in the bo- in the Bible, as one of my congreg- congregants uh, proclaims? Or are we already redeemed entities from the other side, playing a virtual reality game with no more consequence than an amusement park for spirits bored with their lives in heaven? If that is the case, when we speak of reincarnation, are we merely talking about activating another avatar in another role for us to play? Are we to be judged on our behavior toward one another or or in our gamesmanship, like some holographic encounter in some Las Vegas convention hall with a fabulous prize for the winner who bests everyone else. As a fan of uh, redwood forests, tigers, elephants, giraffes, and the coral reefs, all of which we're told will soon be extinct, I'll give you a heads up on where I stand I love the earth, and I see it as a sacred gift from God, but other ideas have their consequences in our lives as well, are having consequences in popular thinking right now. And so we should take a look at where these ideas come from and how we should incorporate mankind's technological mysteries into the spiritual mysteries some of us harbor. For instance, what about our concepts of time? It appears we on Earth are on a one-way street time-wise, while it's generally reported by NDEers that time is malleable or irrelevant on the other side of the veil. One of the great writer humorists of our technological era was the late Doug Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and its sequel, The Restaurant at the End of the Universe. And in that second book, because time can be traversed, backwards and forwards, one can go to the restaurant millways and enjoy a good meal while observing the universe come to its end in the Big Crunch, which is, of course, the opposite of the Big Bang. So to quote a passage from the book, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the universe as we know it has now been in existence for over 170,000 million billion years and will be ending in a little over half an hour. So welcome, one and all, to Millways, the restaurant at the end of the universe. And uh, Wikipedia goes on with a description. Millways, also known as the restaurant at the end of the universe, can only be visited practically by time travel as it exists at the end of time and matter. 
One of the restaurant's major attractions is that diners can watch the entire universe end in a gnob gib from the windows of the restaurant as they eat. The terminal moment is followed by dessert. Reservations are easily obtained since they can be booked once the patron returns to his or her original time after their meal, and the restaurant's bill can be paid by depositing a penny in any bank account of the present time. By the end of the universe, the compound interest on that penny over the course of time after 170 quintillion years will be enough to pay the extremely high bill. Near-instant transportation to the restaurant can be achieved in certain rarefied circumstances, such as being next to an exploding hyperspatial field generator on the planet where millways will eventually be built several billion years after the explosion occurs. Doug Adams was <laughs> wonderful, and I highly recommend, if you haven't read his, his uh, books, that you pick up a copy or two. His wonderful writing takes a scientific speculation right over the top, and yet it makes those ideas so intriguing, so possible in its way, that it makes you laugh and think at the same time. So what about it? Can souls on the other side move forward in time enough to see the final end played again and again before we get our just desserts? And if so, what value should be placed on the mortality of our lovely planet? Does it matter to God what we do or when we do it if Earth is already gone? A couple of years ago, in a religious frame of mind, I jotted down the following speculations. Why does time exist? We call it the fourth dimension, rail against its passing, proclaim in our philosophizing that it isn't real, and complain about how it limits us in this world. We confuse time with behavior, claiming, as did John Calvin, that since God, who stands outside of time, already knows the beginning and the end of things, he has already predetermined who will be saved and has already blessed them. Therefore, prosperous and successful people must be the good guys, according to John Calvin. No matter that Jesus told the rich man, you were blessed in this lifetime, so now it's Lazarus' turn. The New Age people see time as a game we play in, stepping in and out of it like going for a swim, cooling off or heating up, depending on whether we choose the hot tub side or not. They see our deeds here as holding little consequence, since God, the all-loving parent, understands how like foolish children we are and forgives our petty cruelties over and over again. From Mother Teresa to Hitler, sheep and goats are herded and, and to their way of thinking into paradise together. No matter that Jesus said the sheep would be separated from the goats in the end, according to their capacity to love. Quantum physics has shot holes in this dimension we call time. Connecting particle twins separated by huge distances in a timeless instant. The wormhole theory that we can bypass space and time in specific instances gives us hints that 
Time itself may be a special characteristic of creation. It does not apply to the real world of energy, which underlies everything. We diminish time in our own minds by claiming we are prisoners in a dimension that doesn't deserve to exist, that hangs us up by narrowing our free will every step of the way. One morning I woke up with a new thought in my head. Time is actually a laboratory, and we are specially made research tools inside, exploring the nature of creation in exquisite detail, impossible when the all can only be seen all at once. Like the parable concerning the wheat and tares, which will be sorted out at the end of things, we are the investigative team sent in to observe the wheat and tares along the way. From seeding and growth to maturation, we are the active farmers in this harvest of love and shame, and we record the details of our every move in the battle of good and evil. Whereas in the now, there's only the result that testifies, along with the squirming echoes of the elements involved. So why time? Time enables us to understand the process that got us to where we already are. Time is the laboratory in which cause and effect can take place, be observed and studied, be justified or erased, be condemned or forgiven. Life is not frivolous, and neither is time. What we do or refrain from doing is the key to the kingdom as it already is. God identified himself as I am, and that isness or amness is interested in our self-reporting on existence and our role in the makeup of I am itself. They say the human body has more bacteria within it than we have human cells. Good and bad bacteria are fighting it out on every level of our existence. That may be the analogy for our role in the makeup of God. We are good and bad bacteria fighting over what the I am really is. In that case, time may well be the instrument God has decided to examine his insides with just to see how I am is. Time gives us the free will to choose what kind of bacteria we are, the kind that love or the kind that sicken. And the consequences for ourselves may be more serious than we'd like to think. So that's what I wrote a couple of years ago. And enough about time. But perhaps this gives you an idea of why I'm thinking we should be looking at this side of the veil for a bit on the show to see what physical realities can tell us about heaven. In other words, the doors that are open to us by near-death experience should be mirrors into our existence here and now, as well as icon windows into heaven. Who knows? Perhaps spiritual and scientific speculations may not have to be at war with one another. Especially, especially since uh, many a scientific breakthrough has come from dreams and visions generated, no doubt, from hints provided from the other side. Well, we have time for another uh, short NDE experience from the files of ions. 
This one happens to be uh, titled The Void, My Grandmother and God Changed the Way I View Life. No, I take that back. <laughs> that was one I did last week. This one is um, not titled. Um, it is uh, an account describing the drowning of an eight-year-old girl. And although the experience uh, faded from her memory, it was recalled later at which time she realized that it had influenced many aspects of her life. And when this happened to her, she had not heard anyone speak of such things, so she kept it to herself, as many of us did uh, after our NDEs. Fortunately, today more and more people are hearing of near-death experiences and don't have to spend years wondering why, wondering if they are the only one to have had one. And whether we remember them or not, they may influence our lives in many ways. So this NDE writes, and to title this, it titled it, it marked the trajectory of my life. I was eight years old, attending a sleepaway camp in Sag Harbor, Long Island, New York, in 1986. And we were at the public beach, and there was a strong riptide. A wave knocked me down, and before I could get up, another wave dragged me into the ocean. It felt as though the ocean gripped me by the ankles and thrashed me on the ocean floor. It got to the point where I needed to take a breath, but couldn't reach the surface for fresh air. Having played Who Can Hold Your Breath the Longest in the tub with my older brother, I was familiar with my threshold for going breathless. It was only a few moments of agonizing for my next breath when all sensations in my body ceased. This is where it becomes difficult to describe, because I entered a realm beyond the matrix of space and time, a realm so unearthly that our conjuring language is inept to describe it. A narrative, almost by definition, exists in some sort of chronology, though my experience defines time, I'm sorry, though my experience defies time, Hence the difficulty in explaining. Regardless, I will try. While my bodily sensations ceased, my consciousness remained fully intact. I could only describe the feeling as floating, peaceful euphoria. I was gravitating toward an incredibly bright light, brighter than the sun, brighter than the naked eye could perceive to human eyes. The light would be blinding to human eyes. There was, there was also a sensation of warmth and love, a sensation of connection so deep and peaceful. The only loose analogy I could make is perhaps the feeling of being su a suckling infant in the warm embrace of your mother. While I am floating in this experience of nirvana, it occurs to me, wait a minute, I don't have to breathe anymore. I know humans need to breathe to live, so is this death? Oh my God, this is death. Wow. But I think we both know there is more work that I need to do in this incarnation. I feel as though I am having this conversation with a higher entity, a, a loving judge, the source. Yes, there is more for me to experience, more work to do. No, no, I don't want to die now. Though I made this decision, I also knew at the same time that I was completely at the mercy of this greater entity as to which 
way my fate would lie. It's interesting, just as an, a side note, that some people have had that uh, experience of being told, no matter what they want, that they have to go back. Others are given a free, completely free hand in choosing whether to go back or not. And here, uh, our our reporter from the other side says, I knew at the same time that I was completely at the mercy of this greater entity <clears throat> as to which way my fate would lie. She goes on, as I was coming to the conclusion that I wanted to go back, the bright light seamlessly transitions to having a lot of bluish-green movement as it turns into the sunlight streaming through the ocean water. I was rising to the surface and my consciousness broke. The next thing I know, I'm on the beach. The ocean spit me back out several hundred feet from where I was on the shore when I got dragged in. Strangely, I was already resuscitated. I was not rescued by anyone. My face was stinging badly from being dragged in the sandy ocean floor. I walked back to the group, and the first person I recognized, halfway through the walk, I I asked if my face was scratched up. She replied no, and said nothing more. It then occurred to me no one had even noticed what had happened. This lack of validation was a very hard pill to swallow. I had just had the most intense experience of my life, and I didn't have anyone to help corroborate the experience. And since it was of such an otherworldly nature, and something I hadn't heard anyone speak of, I did not feel safe sharing my experience with anyone. I went back to my towel and hadn't told a soul for many years after. Almost ten years later, while under the influence of psychedelic mushrooms, I recalled my near-death experience, for which I had only recently discovered the name and that there were others who had had similar experiences. And I realized the tremendous impact it had on uh, on my life. My sense of spirituality, my interest in exploring different states of consciousness, my reverence for nature, my passion for environmental and social justice, just about everything. It felt as though it completely marked the trajectory of my life. So experiences like the one that I've just read about how uh, how can we deny that it not only gives us a, a glimpse of heaven, which is the part that most listeners are fascinated by, but also holds up a mirror? You know, the notion of uh, icons in the Eastern Orthodox religion as windows into heaven um, are also meant, I believe, to be mirrors to our own souls and to the, own, our, the state of our own souls. Um, and so... Something as powerful as an NDE certainly must serve the, the same purpose. That's what we want to explore in, in some of our future shows coming up. Uh, and that's what uh, this show has been driving at today. Since the red pill, uh, blue pill choices of Matrix movie fame have been compared to the eye-opening aspects of the NDE experience, I think maybe we'll go with next week's show, uh, focusing on what, um, those three movies, the Matrix movies, um, 
suggest about um, reality, the reality of the matrix, as the movie describes it, being uh, the world we live in, the reality behind the matrix. When you take the pill that opens your eyes, you see that uh, you're living in a dream. And perhaps uh, the dreamlike level of that reality when you go behind it even further, which the Matrix movies do explore. Um, if you have a chance, uh, this week, dust off those old DVDs or tune into Netflix or uh, some other source for a Matrix movie review. And if, if you would, take a deeper look into the film speculations, because that's what we'll do on the show next week. Well, once again, we are out of time for today. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS and the upcoming conference in Denver, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.